either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Got something for just about everybody this week in the screening room. We've got tear jerkers. We've got thrillers, dramas. We've got a crazy outer space horror comedy thing that uh, we'll talk about. Uh, welcome in. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com, and we'll also get uh, updated on a host of new release dates for a lot of movies, some big ones, too, when we check in with the Schlocketeer. But let's start out this week with a true life story. After receiving life-altering news, a couple finds unexpected support from their best friend who puts his own life on hold and moves into their family home. This is called Our Friend. You've been gone for three months now. I thought that you were going to be gone for a couple weeks. What changed? I got here and I saw that one person can't do this job. I'm still a valid gotta, person, yeah, you are, but you got to take Don't get out of I don't think you're this upset because I'm late. What's happening to mom? I think you're mad because mom is sick. Why are you so hard on your dad? <laughs> Mother, you've broken my body. I saw you smile. People don't look at me when they talk to me anymore. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. You always will be. You know, you don't have to stick around. Nicole's my best friend, too. Happy to be here. Grab the Kleenex. <laughs> yeah, this is for sure a tearjerker. And it's based on uh, a magazine article from about five years ago from a guy who went through this, unfortunately. He lost his wife at the age of 34 to cancer. And when he when he was writing the, the story, he didn't really know at the beginning of writing it that what it was really going to turn into was more about their best friend yeah. uh, who did put his own life on hold and and move in and, and stay for a long time to just help take care of them. And uh, that is the Our Friend, and he's played by Jason Siegel. And the couple is Casey Affleck, and the woman fighting cancer is Dakota Johnson. And right there, a movie like this is really going to hang on these performances, and they are all great. Dakota Johnson, I don't think, has ever been better. And she's always good. She really is. I mean, people who remember her only from those Shades of Grey movies, you need to, to check out some of her other work, because she's really very strong. Yeah, and she, I think she's just been growing with each role. Mm -hmm. She really has. And this one gives her a role with a lot of, obviously, a big arc. Um, and, and a lot to uh, dig into, and she really comes through. And, of course, Casey Affleck is an Oscar winner. This is the type of role that a, a man trying to keep up the stoic strength while fighting off the, the emotions brewing underneath. That's perfect for him. That's, mm -hmm. his, that's his wheelhouse. And Jason Siegel, who's always likable, but this really gives him a chance to, to show some, some vulnerability and, and some tenderness. There is some humor in this, too, and he's good at being funny. But he's really the soul of this film and really, really good. And I believe this is one that has been hanging around for a couple of years, uh, waiting with this shifting, you know, the shifting sands of the movie business right now to get released. And finally, it's out in some theaters, I think. It is in theaters, but yeah. you can also get it on VOD. Get it on VOD. And it is. It is a big time tearjerker. I don't know who's ready for that right now, but uh, it is, uh, since it is dealing with a, a woman who's dying. But by the end of it, it really becomes more a story about caring than just about dying, about caring enough about people to care for them when they need it, and also about the nature of grief, something that you've pointed out many times since you yourself had to suffer the loss of a, of a mother early on, and you've talked about how grief is many times 
more for the people left behind. Yeah, and I think, though, anytime you can see a film that that takes a a clear-eyed and truthful look at it, as opposed to, you know, let's all figure out a way to help them not grieve anymore, because then we don't feel so uncomfortable, right? Right. Any any film that can embrace grief as a a natural and necessary and necessarily selfish uh, emotion that you have to work through at your own time is is a movie that is already better than others. Yeah, and I think it does a, a a pretty good job doing that. The director is Gabriella Cowperthwaite, who years ago did Blackfish, mm-hmm. and then she did a smaller movie called Megan Levy a few right. years ago, which was pretty darn Kate Mara. good. Yeah, and I like the the uh, the approach she takes here because to that end, to what you're talking about, she'll just the camera will just in the middle of a conversation or in the middle of where it's focused on uh, uh, a certain character, the camera will just start drifting away. Mm. And it'll focus on a, a window shade nice. or something around yeah. the room where you, you get the, the idea of what she's trying to say here is something along those lines where where the focus is what's happening. No, we're not going to focus on the illness here, as terrible as it is. We're focusing on what what's going on around mm-hmm. and how the people are reacting to that and sometimes getting caught, understandably so, uh, between trying to deal with it and, and trying to, especially in the husband's case, just not think about what's coming. Yeah. And, and the movie is really deals a lot with the day-to-day, just the day-to-day uh, minutia of, of getting through this and how the, um, how the friend helps out. The thing that really hampers this, this movie, and I think it's a result of how the magazine article was written, is that the timeline shifts. It's not, it's not linear. It, it has a lot of flashbacks, then jumping ahead, back and forth, back and forth. You see how the couple got together, how they became uh, good friends with the friend. And to me, it, that, that didn't do any favors in building a, a feeling for all of them right. and for their emotional bonds together. Because a lot of times when a movie will do that, it's to show that all of the different events are of equal importance. Mm-hmm. Take a Pulp Fiction, for instance. Sure. Uh, but this here, I don't. I don't think they are of equal importance because each event in their lives built on the next one. You know, the couple got stronger together as couples do because of their shared history, and their 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 bond with this friend got got stronger as well. So I I think that was a, a curious way to do the script. The script was wit- written by uh, Brad Inglesby, who wrote uh, Out of the Furnace. He wrote uh, The Way Back. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he's, he's got some talent. I just think that approach, maybe to try to mirror the article, was not the best approach. But still, I think there is a lot to like here. It avoids being overly sappy and manipulative. But you're right. Get the tissues out because you will need them. But you'll also enjoy three really good performances. And two cute little girls. Oh, the, the girls are great. They're great. <laughs> and the scenes they have with Jason Segel especially mm-hmm. are, are so charming. Very, very charming. So so all in all, uh, a lot a lot to like about a better than your average tearjerker. And that is called Our Friend. Let's go to Netflix next. They've got a, a new release every week. And this one is The Epic Journey of a Poor Indian Driver who must use his wit and cunning to break free from servitude to his rich masters and rise to the top of the heap. It's called The White Tiger. I want to break free. They had plans. I had plans too. I want to break free from your lies. You're so self-satisfied out of me. I would have to become the creature that gets born only once every generation. That's what I call myself these days. 
this is the latest from filmmaker Raman Barani, who did 99 Homes yeah. a few years ago. Uh, and well, Michael Shannon was so great in he that was. movie. And Andrew Garfield and as well. And Andrew Garfield, yes. And, it, and that movie was a, was a biting look at an economic culture that is really built specifically to keep one class down. But that was almost subtle compared to this. Oh, it was almost playful compared to this. This is, and it's set in India, uh, and, uh, you know, it has a look at the caste system, which is not entirely new to me, but certainly I didn't know, uh, you know, to the to the degree that the, that the film opens it up. And in certain ways, it almost feels like a uh, correction to Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and he says it at one point. He yeah. goes, you know, a, a game show that offers a billion rupees is not going to help right now. But the thing that you don't expect, I think is how very funny it is, darkly funny it is. Mm-hmm. And sort of like Promising Young Woman. It, it, in that subject matter, you don't expect to be laughing that much. No, it's, and it's so self-aware. I mean, it, so, you know, it follows this servant as he moves from sort of working in the tea shop where his grandmother has to, like, pulls him out of school and makes him work to begging to become the driver to the master of the town, uh, hoping that he'll he'll wind up being assigned to his youngest son who has been in the United States for 10, 10 years or so and has come back and is, is a much more liberal view of things. Mm-hmm. And so eventually, you know, and one of the things that's very interesting is that you see that he's willing to do things that aren't great, really aren't acceptable to get to where he wants to go. Mm-hmm. And the, the first time he does it, you think, you know, y- knowing how good this filmmaker is, you realize that he's really showing you something completely different. He is basically what he's doing, um, aside from just eviscerating the concept of the caste system, is turning the idea of Indian cinema kind of on its head, this mm-hmm. this romantic notion of the Indian servant and his martyrdom and sort of this romantic idea about that. Mm-hmm. And and also Bollywood. And there's a great last shot in the movie that I absolutely loved. And I think that it's going to go over the heads of a lot of people who haven't seen many, many Bollywood films. But for those of us who are fans of it, it was just a great last shot. The movie is based on a beloved book that has won many awards. And I'm not going to be able to think of the name of the author. The author is Aravind Adiga. Again, it just eviscerates the concept of the caste system. And the direction here is so just magnificent in the way that the camera pulls in images from the background or does these long sort of tracking shots that mirror the changing attitudes and dispositions of the main character. And there are a couple of really visceral turns. It's a very dark and twisty. It's a thriller, really. And I know that the description doesn't make you think that, but it is. It's a thrill ride of a movie, and it's so subversive. It's so smart. I just loved it. Yeah. Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Sometimes she puts Jonas on the end of her mm-hmm. of her name now, sometimes not. She's in this movie that a lot of American audiences may recognize her. She's another one that just is, is almost too good looking for her own good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so you may recognize her and then Adarsh Gorov plays the boy uh, on the on the upward Balram is his climbing. name, yeah, yes. the, the the servant. And he's done a lot of TV, Indian TV. I've not seen him in anything before. Chopra Jonas. She, I was very impressed by her. I've not seen her in anything sustained, right? I mean, I've seen her in like little small, uh-huh. almost cameo roles, but I've not seen her actually with a part. And she does a really good job. And when she comes on, the same with her husband. Her husband 
is Indian and is part of this wealthy Indian family, but he's been in the States for some number of years. So they come back. They're wealthy, but they're, they've got this liberal perspective. But really, it's almost more insidious because they're unaware of the condescension and sort of contempt that they harbor for the lower class. I mean, yeah. the, the movie is so smart. Yeah, it's probably the best of the bunch this week, and it is new on Netflix, The White Tiger. And next is a tale of family, friendships, and betrayal in the violent world of the Philadelphia mob. It's called Brothers by Blood. Put that gun away. Put that gun Get out of the way. Peter, what's going on? What does that say about your business? How much longer do you think before someone pulls it out from under you? Truth is, you gotta kill your brother. There's nothing I can do. Of course you can. Who do you think set up your father? Get off of me! Go! Your father made the deal a long time ago. You need to mind your own business. You have to be on my side. You're my brother. This is now called Brothers by Blood. It started out as being called The Sound of Philadelphia. So in case you're looking for it and get confused, it's now called Brothers by Blood. Right. And it's based on a novel called brotherly love because it's set in the city of brotherly love (laughs) and the whole thing is just very fraternal but um i was a little bit excited because of this cast matthias schoenhart who is always good in every single thing yeah he is you know he's so so good and then joel kinnaman who also is usually good uh and they play not brothers at all but cousins um (laughs) there are no brothers in fact in this movie not one there are no brothers in this movie by the way um, and they're part of the Philadelphia mob. Joel Kinnaman is a bit of a loose cannon. He doesn't think he's getting enough respect. He really wants to take over the business. And Schoenhart plays his brooding, quiet, get the job done, rein him in kind yeah. of, uh, you know. And I mean, so Mean Streets, right? Or <laughs> The Drop. Yeah. Or, I mean, there. I mean, it's a hundred. It's a hundred different movies. Yeah. And that's the thing. There's absolutely nothing about this movie separates it from a hundred different movies you've seen. Absolutely nothing. Everything about it is competent enough. The performances are sound enough. It's funny because just earlier, well, late last year, I saw one just like Jungle Land. Remember? Yes. It was just like, we've seen this a million times. Not that, I mean, these performers are good, but we've seen this story over and over and over. And after a while, you just think, what What are you bringing new here? Yeah, nothing. Not a single mm. thing. And and that's really unfortunate because I, you know, I, I like a good mafia movie. Yeah. They're hard to make that they don't feel like they're just repeating information. But, I mean, the thing about this movie is it doesn't even try to feel like it's not just repeating information. Everything is borrowed. Everything is obvious. Performances are fine. There's no reason to watch it. Yeah, just uh, nothing new for Brothers by Blood. Hey, speaking of brothers, how about an inside look into the fascinating life, career, and survival of the most unknown famous entertainer in Hollywood. It's called Stallone. Frank, that is. Please welcome Frank Stallone. 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 He likes to talk a lot. (laughs) He can tell. He's a force. He's the real deal. I don't think the public took him serious. People are going to be thinking of Sylvester Stallone. You just think of him as soon as you see Frank. It's not easy because you live in the shadow. And every time you get a great job, you know, people say, you probably got that because of your brother. He didn't. He got this because of his talent. I always wonder, what has kept me in this game? But, you know, I just keep coming back to I love it. I remember when we got offered this screener, and you were like, yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's interesting. I do like the title because it's self-aware enough to go, yes, we know when you hear the name Stallone, you're not thinking of Frank. No. Okay, so we're off on the right foot there, okay? <laughs> I like that. But then you see that at the top of the credits, the producer, Frank Stallone. Yeah, problem. Uh, okay. And it's if you don't know Frank Stallone, he did have a great big pop hit in 1983 called Far From Over. From what again? From the movie Staying Alive. Which Directed by? Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> and it was the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. So he's been a musician. He had that one hit. He also, if you remember Rocky, he's the guy singing Take You Back, you know, around the fire there. The guy can sing. He can. He's got a fine voice. He's written a lot of songs. So he's he's pretty much, and he, he really lets you know in this documentary that he's a musician first, but he's also done a lot of roles in some crap movies and some small roles in some good movies. Yeah, I only know him, honestly. I only know him because he is the bartender in the movie Barfly right. about uh, about Bukowski. Sure. And he, so he's he's had a career, but the thing about this this movie, they have all these famous people Everyone from Billy D. Williams to Talia Shire to Schwarzenegger to just just coming on and just just gushing about what a great guy and a great entertainer just all around powerhouse Frank Stallone is so much though that it's just like really it just seems so manufactured as a marketing piece and then you got him one of the things all these people say about him is that he likes to talk well we see yes he does and he <laughs> likes to tell these these stories about his career that kind of sound like tall tales and they're not really specific and they jump around all over the place he does have a little bit of nice humor about himself but but then as he just keeps going back to the fact that he was always hurt by the baggage of being known as Rocky's brother like, okay, but then as he hits these high points in his career, you realize that all those high points have one thing in common. The fact that he's Rocky's brother. Right. And so that's the elephant in the room here that is just not, that's where you need to be a little bit more self-aware. And it's, it's only about 73 minutes, and it's fascinating in such a weird way. And you, you get a little bit of commentary from Sylvester Stallone, and you see some old pictures and you know from the family and things like that. So... But in the end, it's just trying to convince you, I think, that Frank Stallone is worthy of a documentary. <laughs> and you're, you're not convinced. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's just such a, a weird, it just seems like such a marketing tool. Like, hey, here I am. Give me <laughs> some jobs. Uh, although he does seem, they show him still. He does shows, and he's kind of singing the Sinatra type of music now, and great. And I'm not taken away from the fact that he does, truly, he does seem to have talent, especially musical talent, and he has done some some decent uh, acting roles. But a documentary? Nah. Don't know about that. So that is Stallone. Frank, that is. Hey, let's get even weirder now. After unearthing a gem that controls an evil monster looking to destroy the universe, a young girl and her brother use it to make him do their bidding. This is Psycho Gorman. Is that fear I smell? this movie had one of our names all over it. <laughs> it did. 
Uh, yeah, this is the kind of thing that really doesn't interest me whatsoever. But as it started to play out, and I started laughing, I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I like the humor of this. It's by uh, the guy that did The Void a couple of years ago, Stephen Kostansky. And it's just utterly ridiculous, but it's sense of humor I appreciate it. Yeah, and it's nothing like The Void at all. If you're a fan of that film, you might this might seem like a hard left. But he also made Father's Day, which is a little more in line with this. Just a ridiculous, ridiculous, lunatic comedy. But as, as, as far to the just disgusting and debauched as Father's Day is, this is the other, this goes the other direction because it feels for all the world like a Saturday live action yeah. kids show, yes. you know. Um, With the costumes to match. Right, exactly. And the, yeah, and the and the production values yeah. to match and the budget to match. Yep. Um, and the, the attitude, uh, there's just a lot more blood. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the girl who, who has this gem that controls uh, PG, she calls him, is great. Nita Josie Hannah. Plays Mimi, and I thought she was fantastic. Oh my God, she's her hysterical! Attitude perfect, and her timing—I loved it. Absolutely perfect. And you know, the movie. One of the things I love about the movie is that you've got this sister and brother, and the sister is just a bad kid. She's just bossy. Nobody can tell her what to do. She's a little bit of a bully. Her whole attitude is, "Do not tell me what to do." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and her brother is a little bullied by her. You know, you would expect, especially given the kind of kids' show mentality that the movie has, that she's going to learn her lesson in the end and he's going to but the movie is so twisted it's so subversive that it just you never know what's going to happen I thought it was first of all incredibly fun I thought it was really really funny and I was so happy to see Adam Brooks Adam Brooks plays the kid's father and of course he's the father in Father's Day and he's also in the movie The Editor which you haven't seen you should see and so as soon as I saw him I immediately got a sense of the tone that the movie was going to be hitting once we found this monster and it and then he's got that great line about the Iraq war that I just <laughs> I busted out laughing so especially for a 5.99 rental uh, we think you're going to have a lot of fun with Psycho Gorman Next is a raw and intimate documentary that captures the struggles of patients and frontline medical professionals battling the COVID-19 pandemic in Wuhan. It's called 76 Days. You know, I think it's going to take some time for narrative filmmakers to catch up with the pandemic and all that it sure. hath wrought. But documentaries can get it right now. And this is one that does. This is very, this is cinema verite, you know, to, to the nth degree. It reminded me in a way of Leviathan. Remember that? Yes. The one on the fishing yes, boat yes, yes. that just drops you in, mm-hmm. just drops you in. Boom. You're there. Just get used to it. That's what this is. You are in from, from day one in uh, China Day one of the outbreak, and these medical professionals, there's no music, there's no, no adornments, there's, there's subtitles, obviously. But other than that, you just try to keep up with them trying to keep up. And it's, the opening is just so intense, and it's gripping. It's going to be a perfect bookend years from now with the documentary Totally Under Control. I knew you were going to say which that. Which we reviewed uh, a few weeks ago. And when people look back and say, and have a have a look about, okay, this is how it started, and then how did, at least in the in United States, was did it... Did we a, lose control of it? Right. And, and th- th- these are going to be very, very good historical markers about, about what happened. So in the future, I'm sure we will get some very good narrative features 
that has to do with this time. But for right now, it's all about the documentaries. And uh, if you are in for just a harrowing, heartbreaking ride that gives you, as, as if we didn't already know how how valuable and how tireless these frontline workers are. Boy, this one brings it right home and what they have to deal with every single day from day one in uh, in, in Wuhan, China. This, this is the movie that can take you right inside it, and it's called 76 Days. Next, we've got a modern western inspired by the real-life no-man's-land areas along the Texas-Mexico border. This is called No Man's Land. This ain't fair. They were on our land. Shot a boy in the back. How dare you chase our son off Mexico like he's some criminal? Things can get a lot worse. Tell him to come home. No father should bury his son. Sometimes you have to close your eyes and start over to see things clearly. I don't know if I can fix what I did down here, but I gotta try. Yes. So a little bit like Brothers by Blood. This is a movie that I think is trying to do something different, but it, it doesn't really do it very differently. It's a Western. One of, the, one of the things I think they do somewhat effectively is sort of change up the narrative in that a young man, a rancher's son, he's got the world in front of him, and he accidentally shoots and kills a young Mexican immigrant on, his, on their ranch. And he then takes off into Mexico illegally to escape the law. And so what the film does is follows him as he goes deeper and deeper into Mexico, kind of trying to right his own wrong, trying to escape uh, justice to a certain degree. And it's interesting that it's a it's a father-son uh, out on the border patrol in this movie, but we've also got blood ties in the filmmakers. The writer, co-writer, and star is Jake Allen, and it's directed by his brother, Connor Allen. And I think what they're trying to do is create uh, an interesting parallel. They're challenging your expectations of a Western because you always side with the kind of damaged white hero, the mm-hmm. handsome guy. But what he's doing is essentially the same thing as what he was trying to keep from happening earlier. Sure. He is going into another country illegally, and we're following him, and I think the idea is to challenge challenge our preconceptions of what it's like to be in a hostile country where you're not supposed to be and yet you're trying to seek your own your own better fortune. I just don't think the movie is as profound as the filmmakers believe it is. Yeah, I think it definitely has its its heart. Its heart is in the right place and you know what they're trying to do is just not as as successful as they hoped and uh, and we hope while watching it but still decent sure. a decent modern western and that is available now another 5.99 rental and it's No Man's Land. And a foreign film up next. During the 1982 invasion of Lebanon at a private school on the outskirts of Beirut, 11-year-old Wissam tries to tell a classmate about his crush on her while his teachers on different sides of the political divide try to mask their fears. This is Wiener wrote this review for us, and one of the things that he was impressed by was how well the movie takes a very intimate, close look at what could otherwise be sort of an, you know, war movies. War is complicated. Yeah. And he thought that the way that they lend this by keeping it really closely on these two different relationships, this very innocent, sweet relationship between a little boy and the girl he has a crush on, and a much more complicated relationship between two adult teachers. Each of them believes something different about this impending war that at first you just hear from the distance and it gets closer and closer. And then there's this sort of panic about how they're going to protect these children. 
and just basically keep the reality of war at bay. It's a flawed film, but it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, he also had some ideas on the metaphors at work here and how they go right up to the point of maybe overdoing it and and then pull back. But uh, yeah, he has some definitely some interesting thoughts on a movie that he did enjoy. And you can check out that review by Matt Wiener at madwolf.com. And that's 1982. Next up is the story of Mo, a practicing Muslim living in West Hollywood, learning to navigate life post-heartbreak when he meets Cal, an all-American guy who surprises him by offering to break fast with him during the holy month of Ramadan. This is called Breaking Fast. How often are you two breaking fast? I don't know, like every night? Uh, Every night? You mean to tell me your immigrant mother would allow you to be like this and have no opinion about it? My immigrant mother is nothing like what you see on TV. What I know is that a gay Arab Muslim guy in Riho probably knows what it's like to have people make assumptions about her. You deserve to be loved. What was in my head? Yeah, see, I'm not such a mystery. <laughs> Writer, director Mike Mosalam is is taking the structure that you know so, so, so well from the romantic comedy and trying to make you re-examine your preconceived notions, again, this time about um, Muslim culture. And I think that in a certain degree, he's he is successful with that. The, the characters are charming. The love is charming. The romance is charming. The, the fact of the matter is, it's so wedded to the steps of a romantic comedy yeah. that it kind of strangles the life out of the story. Rachel Willis reviewed this movie for us on MadWolf.com. I think that her thoughts are very similar to ours. Yeah, and you can check that uh, full review out on the website, and that's Breaking Fast. And we'll end with a music documentary about the Swedish cult rap star Young Lean. It tracks his rise to fame while blurring the line between reality and his own vivid imagination. This is called Young Lean In My Head. Jonathan, what are you... I don't film this. When music was taken out of the equation, that's when things went too far. It's just like sad boys vibes. It's emotion that I get. This feeling that I get. I've had a lot of I've seen. Got to be honest, was not familiar with Young Lean. I got a bone up on my Swedish rap. <laughs> but uh, Brandon Thomas reviewed this for us at MadWolf.com, and he enjoyed it. He did, you know, and it's one of those movies that, in a certain degree, takes the trajectory you expect it to take. Skyrocket to stardom, right. you've got a world tour, you've got some drugs, you've got some chaos. But the fact is that uh, the footage is so intimate, and you really are so close to this own person's sort of thought process, this fascinating man and the way he thinks things through, that it, it keeps it fresh. Another five ninety nine rental on Prime Video. That's Young Lean In My Head, Brandon's review at MadWolf.com. Hey, before we go to the lobby, we, we got to say thanks for getting a new fan. That's right. Well, we want to thank our friend Omar because he introduced his mom and dad to this podcast. And so welcome, Omar's mom and dad. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Glad to have you. Appreciate that very much. Thanks, Omar, Omar for uh, spreading the love. That's right. Spreading the word. We appreciate that as always. All right, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby to welcome in the Schlocketeer, also known as Daniel Baldwin. And I know you are busy. There's just a truckload of new release dates and shuffling around, so I know you've kept track of them all. Yes, for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with the good news. There is stuff that is actually still coming out in spring. 
<laughs> Lionsgate yanked their uh, Kristen Wiig comedy Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Oh, they did. <laughs> yeah, I love they, that trailer. Just for, <laughs> ju- just for, have you seen the trailer, Daniel? Yes, I have. Oh. Just for the kid, the kid just on the for bike, the kid on his bike singing, singing Barbara Streisand. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know about the rest of the movie, but I want to see it just for that. <laughs> well, they were originally going to put it out in summer from when they had press funded from last year, but now uh, it's coming to VOD on February twelfth. Oh, so okay. You're going to see that a whole lot sooner. CBS All Access will transition into Paramount Plus on March fourth. I know we had talked about that previously. And despite selling off most of their upcoming movies, they do have one exclusive film that will be showing up on it this spring, and that's the third SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. <laughs> Sponge on the Run. <laughs> I like it. Joe Carnahan's sci-fi actioner boss level is hitting Hulu on March 5th, and Warner Brothers moved up the release of Godzilla vs. Kong from late May to March 26th. Yeah, that's yeah. causing a stir. People are excited about that. Okay, here's the thing, quickly, because Hope and I got into this last week. Mm-hmm. If Kong is fighting <laughs> Godzilla, okay, Godzilla yeah. can shoot that heat ray. Isn't that game over? He's got that heat ray. You would think so, but I don't know anything personally about the film, and obviously the trailer for it drops this weekend, but just based on spotting the toys in Walmart, which went up last year, despite the movie not coming out yet, Kong seems to have fashioned himself some sort of gigantic axe, so maybe that'll even the odds a little bit. An axe. He's got an axe. Yeah. An axe against yeah. a fire-breathing. Okay. The, yeah. the big, yeah, the big electric race that he I just, really, I mean, remember in the last one, I mean, he, he really brought him up from his toes yeah. all the way through yeah. his, yeah. I just, I, I, don't have, know, man. I have questions. Hopefully yeah. they'll be answered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, all but right, an hopefully. axe. All right, so that was, I took a left turn there. Sorry, go ahead. We can get a little artier for a bit, if you want. Yeah. Disney and Searchlight have set a bunch of new releases for pretty much a lot of remaining Fox films that they still had. David Bruckner's Thriller, The Ninth House, is coming out on July 16th. Michael Showalter's The Eyes of Tammy Faye is arriving on September 24th. Nice. Scott Cooper's horror movie Antlers is now set for October 29th. Saw that, yeah. saw that. Yay. And Guillermo del Toro's remake of the classic noir Nightmare Alley is coming on December 3rd. Woohoo! Okay. Beyond that, Universal postponed their Tom Hanks sci-fi movie, Bios, to August 13th. And Warner Brothers pushed back the release of their Sopranos prequel movie, The Many Saints of Newark. It was originally going to come out in late March. They moved Godzilla vs. Kong into that date, and they pushed Newark back to September because apparently it's getting a lot of awards buzz from screenings that they've had, and they don't want to push it this year, so they're going to save it for next year. Hmm. Next year's awards season. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess this year's awards season. Right. <laughs> Weird to talk about it that way, because yeah. we had two. Right. <laughs> but the big news came yesterday. No Time to Die has officially moved six months back to October 8th, and then right after that happened, a big wave of Sony changes came. Yeah. Sure. I think they were literally waiting for Bond to blink before they did. I heard they changed the title of Bond to just die already. Or, or plenty of time to die. Because... Well, they can't use die another day because they already did that one. But... So all these dates, they're etched in stone. They're not changing, right? Oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I'm about ready to lay a bunch of sunny dates on you that will probably all shift again. Okay. <laughs> Morbius had just been moved to October 8th. Obviously, they don't want to put Jared Leto up against James Bond, so they've shipped it off to January 20. 22 now. Uh, They've moved their Cinderella movie back from February to July 16th. Peter Rabbit has 
bounced from April to June 11th, and they pushed back Ghostbusters 3 from, I believe, June or July all the way back to November 12th. Their Uncharted video game adaptation has moved to February 22nd, and they also offloaded their Lord and Miller-produced animated film, The Mitchells vs. the Machines, to Netflix for $110 million. Wow. A <laughs> whole lot of stuff happened, mm. and I... For better or worse, I have a feeling I'm going to have another long list for you next week. Wow. Because there's, there's still some stuff sitting in April and May that's probably going to move. We appreciate you updating the calendar as always. And you can uh, find you can find Daniel and keep up for yourself uh, at The Schlocketeer. Thanks again. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay, looking ahead to next week. Well, we just found out. We've got one that we've been waiting on for a while. St. Maud <laughs> is coming uh, next week. Also, the new Denzel. The Little Things. And The Dig, that looks good. It's the new Netflix has a new movie every week. That yeah. is the new Netflix movie. Uh, something called The Night. Queen of Black Magic. Hashtag like. Noturno and also Savage State. Okay. And there might be some more popping up because there <laughs> always are. In the meantime, let us know what you thought about the Frank Stallone documentary. <laughs> or... Like they saw it. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, when I called the, one of the radio stations that we called this morning and the one guy on there who never likes anything, he's like, I'm watching that. <laughs> I'm watching it. So, hey, go for it. Let us know about that one or anything that you might have seen this week. I'd love to keep the conversation going. Easy on Twitter, at Mad Wolf, of course. So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website we've talked about where you can find all of our written reviews uh, by us and our other writers, all at madwolf.com. So uh, until next week, we hope to hear from you. She is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. Thanks, Omar's mom and dad. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>